Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 91. So how is creativity connected to our health? Well, this is a question I really wanted to dive into and explore this month on the podcast. Welcome back to the Healing Catalyst podcast, my friends. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Avanti, and I'm so excited to have you here with me. Every month, we choose a new intention to explore. And this month in June, we are exploring creativity and our health. You know, I've been thinking a lot about creativity as I've had a lot of time on my hands going through my cancer healing journey. You know, my entire schedule got completely canceled and I find myself with a lot of time at home resting. And I've just been trying to find things to keep my mind occupied that are not work related. And a few weeks ago, I started painting and knitting to keep my mind busy. But what I found is that more than keeping my mind occupied, painting and knitting has ignited my creativity, which has led me to feeling a little more energetic and optimistic and motivated to go for walks even when I'm in pain and to sit in meditation even when I'm feeling restless. I found that creative outlets have actually affected my mind and body in really positive ways and wondered if this is true for others as well. And so I sent a few messages to a few of the most creative people that I know to explore creativity and our health. To start us off, today I'm joined by Maria Cornejo, who is known for her sustainable design and fashion. Born in Chile, Maria moved to England as a political refugee with her family as a child. Her varied career spans London, Paris, Milan, and Tokyo with her signature Maria Cornejo collection and work as a creative consultant for major retailers such as Joseph, Tehen, and Jigsaw. In 1996, Maria moved to New York, where she transformed a raw space in Nolita into a highly creative atelier and store known as Zero and Maria Cornejo, and started making garments with upcycled materials. A champion of women in the fashion industry and beyond, her work is guided by the idea of creating wearable luxury for real women. And of course, her designs have also been worn by many amazing women, including Michelle Obama, Serena Williams, and Tracy Ellis Ross. Maria's long-term commitment to local manufacturing and responsible design has catalyzed many conversations of change in the American fashion industry. She's won numerous awards, including the Smithsonian Cooper Hewitt National Design Award. In 2010, she won the first CFDA Lexus Eco Fashion Challenge, and in 20. 2017 was awarded one of the top three prizes in the CFDA Lexus Fashion Initiative. Maria is also a founding member of the CFDA's Sustainability Committee, and in 2019, 
She was appointed to the CFDA Board of Directors by the new chairman, Tom Ford. In our conversation, Maria shares her journey into the fashion industry, from being a young immigrant in England to establishing her brand in New York City. We discuss the importance of sustainable fashion and how Maria's designs aim to make both herself and other women feel good, emphasizing the need for harmony in all aspects. Maria also opens up about her experience with breast cancer and the valuable lesson she learned about self-care. She highlights the role of creativity in her health and well-being, the impact of nurturing one's creativity, and the importance of finding happiness in the small things. I'm so excited to share my conversation with Maria Cornejo about harmony in design and life as we explore creativity and our health. Well, hello, Maria. I am so excited to have you on my podcast. I absolutely love your work. I'm a big fan of yours and getting to talk to you on my podcast is just so amazing and it's so exciting. So thank you for doing this with me. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm a real fan of yours, so the feeling's mutual. Well, thank you. You know, I would love if we could start out by maybe you telling us a little bit about your background, because I don't know how many people know your work and follow you in fashion, but I would love if you could tell us a little bit about your background and how did you get into fashion? Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, it's, it's, I'm 60 years old now, so it's, it's a long, it's a long story, which I'm going to try and condensate in a very short amount of time. I mean, I grew up in Chile and when I was a child, my parents were creative and you know, I thought we were always going to be there. I was just used to make clothes with my grandmother. Then because of political situation, because of 9-11 in Chile, we left and, you know, we became political refugees. So after that, my life really changed. From You know, Spanish is my first language. English is my second language. And we ended up in Peru and then in London. Originally, we were going to go to Cuba. My parents were real socialists. <laughs> they had totally brainwashed me that we were going to go to Cuba. And then the day that they would come and get the refugees from the re- different refugee houses. At the time, I think we were in a church or something. I can't remember. And we missed the plane because they would come and just say, okay, today we have five seats on the plane to Cuba or five seats to... My father had applied to Cuba, England and Canada because he could speak English. And so we missed Cuba. So the next one that came up was England. And I ended up in England at the age of 12, not speaking a word of English, and uh, going to first in London, living in a refugee house in Shepherd's Bush for like a few months. And then we got relocated to the north of England, Manchester, and uh, went to school there. And, you know, 12 is quite old to be learning a language, you know, and sort of being in high school. So um, I wasn't very confident. It took me about a year to actually start really speaking. And then what I felt confident was more in the arts and languages rather than, you know, I was apparently I was good at chemistry and math, but I didn't have the, how do you say, the confidence. So I went more into the arts because at 15 in England, you have to pick your subject, whether you go into the arts or into academics so I picked to go into the arts and then I did um went to art school I went to graphics first 
And then I did fashion and textiles. And I started my brand very young with my ex-partner, John Richmond, in England in the 90s. No, actually, early 80s, like 84, 85. And so, yeah, and then I, with him, we, we had a lot of success very young. I was terribly bulimic at the time because I was 20, 23 with 20 Japanese stores opening on their own name and traveling all the time between Japan and Italy. And, you know, I didn't realize what a toll that took, you know, to be that young traveling on my own. I was on my own all the time traveling, like getting into weird situations. I mean, I had so many like lucky escapes where things could have gone wrong, mm-hmm. you know, as a woman, yeah. as a girl. Yeah. Incidents. And so then what did I do then? So then we split up in nineteen eighty eight. I moved to Paris. I'm trying to condense all <laughs> moved to Paris. I worked for I did my own collection for about a year and then I decided I wanted to learn learn on other people's time and money because I was really young and I was really overexposed. And I just wanted to go and work for somebody and be sort of private. And so I got married at twenty six. I moved to Paris. I had my baby girl, Phoebe, who actually listens to your podcast. So I hope she's going to listen to this one. <laughs> and she was born in 91. And so I just worked for other people for a while. And then we moved to New York in 96. And after working for other people and being in the fashion business, I didn't really want to be in the fashion business anymore. I wanted to do something creative. So I got this space on Mott Street, and it was a garage, and I had to convert it into some sort of a store gallery, and I was going to do it with my ex-husband, and we were going to do like a gallery space, and I was going to make something like cushions or something, something that didn't require size sort of decent, and um, ended up being about what I could make and what sold, you know, so it ended up being about clothing. Because I just had children, I had Bibi, she was five and a half, and my son was eight months old, I was very aware of what we leave behind, you know, and and also on the points of sustainability, but also as a woman, changing sizes and being inclusive and, you know, moods and how, you know, even though I was a mom, I didn't want to look like a, every other mom here. I just, you know, at the time there wasn't much fashion in New York. It was just the, the big labels or gap. So I started designing quietly and making everything in one place because I didn't want to travel anymore. I wanted to be based and be able to go home every night and see my kids. And and this, you know, this came about because I spent a year like getting the space and my father was dying of cancer. So I I was pregnant with my son and going to England a lot. And even though it was sad, it, I also call it my magical year because I was able to be so present. And, and, you know, spend time with my family. And when do you really get that? Right. Right. So you made such a big change. I remember you sharing the story with me before over lunch. And it's just so fascinating because you had so much success right out, right out of the gates from fashion school, like quite immediately. And it was a whirlwind. You didn't have to work up to that. It just happened for you like magically and beautifully. And you have so much learning in that and, and had so many iterations of your brand before you even came to this current brand that you're in right now for the past 25 years. Yeah, no, I mean, I think also, you know, we were very young. And at the time, you know, in London, everything was possible. We had Japanese backers, we had Italian backers. And it, 
you know, it was the 90s. So there was a lot of money around and people, you know, they love, they love, you know, you know, now there's like thousands of designers at, at the time where there were very few right. <laughs> between, you know? Yeah. So I was very lucky to have been part of that. Yeah. So how did you come to focus on sustainable fashion? Because that really is what you are so well known for, in addition to the fact that you design for women, for real women. You know, my sister always says, and I love this, this line that she says about you, is that you design for women like you absolutely love women, like you love being a woman and you love the woman, you know, the, the female form and you understand how we change. But, you know, so let's start with how did you get, you know, focused on sustainable fashion? I think for me, studying in New York and like I, I was saying, having two children and realizing I read a book about the world we leave behind and, and, and knowing the cause and effect of consumption or what we're doing with the world, how it affects climate change. And it, it just really made me think, you know, and I just thought I started by, you know, going to jobbers and buying like leftover fabrics from big designers and upcycling fabric and trying to not you know like not actually not even trying not overproducing producing on demand in the beginning we literally made a rack of clothes mm -hmm. and samples and people would come in the store and depending how they reacted we would make more but it was all like limited lots because we were making everything there and I had after traveling around the world and realizing what a lot of waste there is working for big companies one time I was actually in China in Hong Kong and with the president of this French company I work for, which shall remain nameless, shall we say. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, I realized that he was nickel and diming over a sweater, over a dollar or something. Meanwhile, we had flown there in business class. We were staying in a really expensive hotel. And to me, it just felt so wrong, so wrong on every level that I just didn't want to contribute to that so then when I got the space and I wanted to make everything in one place every, everything being produced in the back I mean originally everything was produced in the back of the store so we were really producing on demand so we weren't overproducing like a lot of big companies they overproduce just so they can put things on sale and so then the focus on sustainable faction so I mean it really came from this this understanding of the world that we leave behind but then what does sustainable fashion mean to you specifically? Like producing it, is it, is it just producing, because I'm not from the fashion world, but is it just producing only on demand or is there more? I mean, I imagine it's about the way the materials, the fabric is made and produced and all of those pieces. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. I mean, if you look at the UN Sustainable Goals, I'm, I've got them up on my board. I think there's 17. There's, it's not just materials being, you know, sustainable or whatever possible. It's about people. It's about water. It's about working locally. You know, it's like basically minimizing also the processes. And so it's like a human sustainability. There's also like wages is there's so many different levels and you know and nobody's a saint but we try and hit the most we can all the time you know and that's what i say you know minimize the processes it, you know the fabric doesn't need to go from here today if we can bring it in and make it here locally if we don't have to have a zipper in this we you know there's very rare most of my things 
don't have fastenings. I mean, this is rare that I'm wearing a shirt with buttons on. I mean, most of it is pull on. It's pretty straightforward and trying to get creative with less. And I think there's so many levels of sustainability. It's also, you know, human cost. Sometimes I complain that, you know, we're sustainable, but I don't feel that, you know, like in the last few years, I've had to look after myself because I run, like you, I told you, I had breast cancer. And I was running myself ragged between work and getting divorced and getting a home. And and there's just so much. It's not just purely on the material level. I realized that I wasn't actually being sustainable to myself and I wasn't looking after myself in a way that I should, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So it's it's on so many different levels, which, you know, as you're saying this, I can feel how aligned it is with Ayurveda, right? With this idea of living in harmony with everything in our lives, right? Because what you're talking about is your creativity and fashion, but actually understanding how it connects to everything in the world, whether it's resources of fabric, material, time, humans, your effort, your energy, right? Even the space Mm -hmm. that you're using, the materials you're using. And Ayurveda is so much about that. It's about taking into consideration how do we connect with the world around us and all of our, all parts of our lives. So I think it's really interesting. And so if you think about it from that perspective, how do you maybe, do you see, I mean, you know a little bit about Ayurveda. Do you see any of those principles in the way that you work or how you approach design? Yeah, I mean, I always, it's like, I think, we're all connected. Everything is connected. So energetically, you know, it's like you say, I design for real women. I, I love women. And I also, I am, I was very shy as a child. And if my mother hadn't died when I was 14, I probably wouldn't have done anything because I used to follow her around. And, you know, my sister was very confident and, you know, very beautiful. And I was always like a chicken behind <laughs> following my mom around like a shadow. And so in in a weird way, I just think for me, creating clothing that makes me feel confident or makes me feel good and, and it also makes other women feel good because I know how it affects everything and how if you feel good about yourself, if you feel confident, like clients, artists, whoever said to me, well, I, I wore that and I got the job. And I just think it's something that we sort of, Everything should, needs to be in harmony. I mean, I'm very sensitive to noise, to like, like right now my office is a mess and it's driving me insane because there's so much stuff everywhere. And I think we have to be in harmony with nature and uh, everything. You know, when things are not in harmony, it's like that's when we get sick, I suppose, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know. I think that that's so true. And we'll come back to this because I have some more questions about this, but I wanted to come back to one point because I remember you sharing with me the way that you design and it's based on Mm -hmm. some geometric forms. Can you share that? Because it's fascinating and it brings to my mind so much of nature in this because it's geometry and it comes from nature. I don't know. Yes, no, it's interesting because originally when I first started, I just like was so bored with fashion. I thought, okay, well, Everybody in New York wears jeans and they just wear T-shirts. So I thought, okay, I'm going to make some interesting T-shirts and denim and things. And and then I was thinking about geometry and what, you know, like four different shapes, you know, like a triangle, a circle, a square, a rectangle. 
what the you know basically depending on where you put the the neckline or the armholes and how it drapes in the body how it becomes about the wearer and it doesn't matter where your shoulders are it doesn't matter what shape you are it just flows off your body and i think having you know that as the basis for creating things and trying to figure out how you know like i always say the fabric dictates the shape dictates the drape dictates what we make I don't start with sketches now, you know, like more and more, I don't really sketch. And I don't start with ideas. I start with, we do a fabric selection, we figure out the colors and the prints, and then we figure out the things that, the shapes that would work in those fabrics, so the silhouettes. And and it's a very organic process and it's very hands-on. But it's a conversation now more and more between me and my little team. And, And they're great because, you know, they sort of, sometimes from like, mad ideas you know they sort of interpret things and you know we come out with ideas together and we have a conversation and it's just very organic yeah what it's bringing up for me is that it's a very mindful process that you know you may have started with this idea of these shapes and now you're saying that you've moved towards looking at the fabrics and seeing what shapes Mm -hmm. they can hold yes and, and totally about you know we always talk about a woman, you know, where is she going? Where is she living? What she needs to be in? What makes us feel good? Mm-hmm. You know, I always start the season with like, I hate clothes. I don't want anything else. <laughs> <laughs> it's like today I'm wearing like nothing because I've been on trunk shows and shooting in the new collection. We were just editing the photographs from shooting last week, you know, mm-hmm. the new collection, which will be released for wholesale at the beginning of June. And that's the cruise collection but that won't be in the store till october we were just on trunk shows selling spring summer and crew i mean it's just never ending so now i get to a very like i don't like clothes i just want to be in my pajamas (laughs) (laughs) so i get very like oh i hate everything i just want to you know wear nothing and then the other thing is that i keep joking about it it's like we cannot design anything basic like boring Mm -hmm. people will not by anything that isn't designed. So everything is almost like, you know, we work in a very 3D way. It's very sculptural because we are draping here. We're not we're not working on pads. We're not working from a flat computer drawing. It's very much on the woman's body. Mm-hmm. Can you describe the process of, you know, again, for so many of my listening community and myself, I don't know the process of, of designing clothes. So can you take us through the process? Like, what do you actually do? I mean, you, you get the fabric and where do you start well first we start with the fabrics that which are the the core of the collection the fabrics that don't really change every season and go okay that those are the fabrics that we will recolor then we go okay this is going to be um i call it the eye candy the new print or whatever that's going to sort of drive the color palette and and the fabrics that will give us new shapes and things that will push the design ideas forward because we do have a vocabulary within certain fabrics, whether it's the eco denim or the silk. You know, we just did recycled cashmere. We have a certain certain vocabulary within those fabrics. So, which fabrics are going to push the envelope? What's going to get us excited about this collection again? About building around this these building blocks. And so we start like that, and it's just a lot of it is about a feeling, to be honest. I mean, this year more than ever is because it's the 25th year. 
I went through the archives and that inspired new shapes and, you know, going back to the geometry, really been going back into the geometry of it all and, and refocusing and ha- what still feels relevant and working on some things that, you know, just the, the early version of that, which was probably in 2000 or 1997, I think. And then now to what does that look like now? What's the new version of that? And it's how we evolved an idea. And I, you know, like I was just editing the photographs of the team and I was saying, you know, I like repetition. I like evolution. I like things that to me, it's like there's so much stuff right now that there's, you know, women, once we find the shape that we love or things that make us feel good, it's not like we want something totally different. We want the new version of it, but it's just we do find like the silhouettes that works for us, and that we tend to stick with that, you know. Mm-hmm. So you take the fabrics and then you design around that, but pushing the envelope is what you're saying, creating something yes. a little bit new from that base that you have. Yeah, and you know, there's 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 sketching that goes on as well a little bit. Then there's you know evolutions of things, and then. We pick the fabrics, we test the new fabrics that get made into like different shapes to see if the fabrics work before we go ahead and do a whole section of it, you know, maybe five styles in that fabric. So we test a lot. There's a lot of research and development that goes into that, the testing and the, the strike off of the prints and the jackets, you know, and all the exclusives. We work with a mill in France that does all our organic cotton and recycled polyester jackets and so it's always a collaboration. It's an ongoing collaboration with the, with the fabric people, with the design team. It's a conversation. It's not a, it's not a one-man job. It takes a village. There's a lot of different layers to it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it's a conversation. It's a lot of back and forth, right? Of, there is. Yeah. There is. You know, and sometimes I come up with an idea and then they, they take it away and they do something else and it's better than what I thought of. Or, you know, they come out with an idea and I go, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. it really is a conversation. Now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so how do you think creativity has been central to your health and well-being, to you personally? I, I think creativity to me is one of the things that makes, gives me joy. And there's many things that I don't particularly enjoy about being in the fashion business. I always say I'm a designer. I don't want to be in the fashion business. Um. And creativity to me to work with a team and to come up with ideas, that is really inspiring and it sparks a fire and it gets things moving. And for me, being creative is like, I look after myself almost like an athlete now, you know? It's like, if I'm working, I try not to go out, not to drink or, you know, I I need to be focused. I need to be clean. I need to be clear. It's quite nerdy in a way. No, it's it's beautiful actually because you're getting inspiration from somewhere and you want to be what what I'm thinking of is you want to be almost a clear channel for that that creativity. Yes, and a lot of a lot of inspiration to me is quite internal. You know, I don't research and we don't research. You know, it's basically now yeah, we do have the archives to go back to, uh, but it's always been more about a feeling and you know projecting what's going on around us, you know, and then certain collections you know I remember one collection was about the earth and you know there was a sea print there was like like a another print that was based on grasses and all the elements you know like wood fire everything and uh, to me that's more interesting than actually saying oh I went to this art gallery and this artist inspired me or I went to 
you know, I watched the film and this is, it's not like that. It's very, it's more abstract. So. And so can you tell us about a time that maybe you felt that your, your creativity wasn't being nurtured and that affected your health? I know you alluded to something when you were in your twenties of the fast life, but is there another example you could give us? Um, I think a few years ago we were doing far too much and it was really taking its toll. And I was I began to resent being having to be creative on demand. So what I've purposely done over the last few years, you know, and also because of COVID, we reduced the size of the collection and we condensated everything because I I thought, well, there's no point having a sustainable collection if we're killing ourselves doing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? And so for me, it was like, I always say, we're not brain surgeons, but we're bringing joy to people and it needs to feel joyous. It needs to feel like we're loved. It needs to feel like that in order to create that. It mm-hmm. can't be just ticking the boxes off. Right. Well, there's an energy to it, right? Their energy is everything. That's my yeah. belief. And the energy that yeah. you put into whatever work you do, including designing clothing. And I think that that is something that's so unique about you because your love and joy comes through in the forms that you create because it makes women feel so good. I feel amazing when I wear your clothes. I mean, I feel beautiful. I feel comfortable. I feel like myself. And that I feel comes from your joy and love that you're putting into the way that you create it. I mean, I hope, I hope that feels like that. I mean, it's really sweet to say that. I mean, that's what we strive for, you know, because I always say nobody needs any more stuff. So we need to create things that are beautiful, that bring joy, that enhance somebody's life, that make you feel like a better version of yourself so you can go into the world. And, you know, we, we do battle as women. We do so many things. So many things we take on so much so, so clothing should be something that should make us feel better not that we're not skinny enough we're not tall enough do you know what I mean there's something about loving your body and whatever shape you're in it's just embracing that and I think we we sort of try and do that yeah no I think you do it really well I want to switch topics or maybe directions a little bit and talk to you a little bit about your health journey that you've been on in the past few years, you know, I've shared with you that I was recently diagnosed with breast cancer. My body was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I know that you had a similar experience a few years ago. Um, How would you say the way that you view life or work has changed because of that journey? I mean, I think having breast cancer and, you know, uh, it was scary. It was really scary. And also lose because I lost my father to cancer when he was really young. He was 55, so younger than I am. And then I lost my mother when she was 34, but, you know, she had another, she had a fatty liver. And so I was always very aware of loss and trying to be present. And then I found myself that even though I got back into designing, making clothing and having a company, I was running myself ragged. And I wasn't happy. And then I was dealing with divorce, you know, with my children not being happy or, you know, like also the contradiction between social media and me being really miserable and crying every day and packing up a house and 
you know, grieving over the loss of a marriage of 31 years, grieving over, you know, the emptiness syndrome. All of a sudden, my children were gone. My husband was gone. The, everything that I totally, my sense of purpose, which was my family, disappeared for, for a while. Mm-hmm. And it was really, I'm getting quite emotional, sorry. Oh, please. It was re- really quite painful. But, you know, you can't really say it because you have to be the grown-up in the room, you know? And everybody's coping with their own grief at the time. My children were coping with their grief. I was coping with their grief. My ex-husband was coping with the grief. So, And then I was having to come into work, and in some ways it helped because I had to, like, okay, here we are. Fuck it up. Which kept me going, and thanks to my team, you know, it got me through it. But it also takes its toll because you're sort of, in some ways, denying that you're going through grief, a lot of grief. And and I think we sort of bottle it up. And I and I just realized that I had been on survival mode from the age of eleven, you know, since we left our country, since we left Chile, and then my mother dying, and then sort of put all these things aside and you just function and you just keep functioning and you sort of become really good at just picking yourself up and doing and you pick yourself up and you do but then it, it sort of it sort of hit me like a like a train you know it's like you've been denying a lot of pain for so long and so i think that manifests in in the body it does yes i would agree i think that i'm as I'm sitting here listening to it, I'm getting emotional because in so many ways, I have a similar experience of in the past few months of dealing with so much pain that I have tucked away to function in the world, to be a high achiever, to become a doctor, right? All of these things, yeah. to be there for my family, you know, my extended family, my, my nuclear family, my children, my husband. And I'm unpacking a lot of those things that I've tucked away. I think that many of us do that. And when we tuck it away in our bodies, our bodies feel it and has to do something with that emotion. And it's, it's really interesting because, you know, this month we're talking about creativity in our health. And as we're talking, I'm realizing that creativity, it could be a thing, but it's also almost kind of like an emotion because you can have creativity in the work that you do and it can create joy for you and create joy for others. And at the same time, you can be holding that pain. And when you don't deal with the pain, if you don't have an outlet for the pain, but you have an outlet for the creativity, mm-hmm. that's, that's unbalanced. Yes, I think so. <laughs> right? The creativity comes out. The creativity comes out in our work through you know, me writing or helping people or you designing clothing and having this beautiful way of creating a sustainable fashion line, right? That has been around for 25 years, which is incredible. We have an outlet for the creativity, but we don't have an outlet for the pain. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of the time, you know, as I got older now, I just say more what I mean, you know, for so long, you know, being also being an immigrant and being not having a real country. And, you know, like when I moved to Paris, the English took away my, my refugee status. So then I wasn't English and I wasn't French. Then, you know, and then having to fit in and, you know, sort of, and just going with the flow all the time. And then you think, actually, I don't want to fucking go with the flow anymore. You know, I do have an opinion. And, you know, as you get older, you think I'm not invisible. Um, I do have an opinion. And, 
maybe you know i was always scared of being too vocal because i didn't want to say the wrong thing or whatever and then you hold it all in and then you know with my you know with my family it used to blow up you know i used to go out once a year every year around christmas because i was so overwhelmed so overtired and having to be everything to everybody and at the same time being exhausted and burnt out it was like the busiest time family wise the busiest time work wise and then i would routinely blow up the last few years between before we split up with my husband i was routinely split up the day before christmas or something and it would just blow out of all proportions and and then i was just like oh my god this you know because a lot of the time we just as women instead of we don't want to nag we don't want to you sort of do it because you think, well, it's easier for me just to do it than explain to somebody how to do it. It'll take me less time. I'll just do it. Mm-hmm. But then you sort of keep charging yourself with stuff. And now in a weird way, not weird, but it's sort of like being my own. Now. I mean, my son just moved to Paris and I have time to look after myself. I do yoga every morning. I do half an hour. I mean, I used to get ready in five minutes. Now it takes me two hours because I have to meditate, I have to do my yoga, <laughs> I have to feed my cat, I have to look at my plants, you know, things that make me happy, little things that make me happy. So it sounds like of, some slowness. You've slowed down a yeah. little bit. Yeah. In for Which, your own you know, personal care. Yeah. And also, I think it's also for everybody around me because you, you cannot drive anything if you're not in a good place and you know you you know for me I always wanted to have a a really good atmosphere at work and I love my team and to me I always you know I remember one of my assistants when I was younger saying to me you know you spend more time with me than your family and so it's like my other families my extended family and you want to have a good atmosphere you want to be present you want to be joyful and I didn't want to come in and be in a foul mood and so I was you know, there was nowhere for me to be myself because here I was trying to keep it together. At home, I was trying to keep it together. And then you sort of realize that there was no me. I need to be grumpy in a room time and just detox from everything. And, you know, and my husband worked from home and he was the opposite. He was like doing yoga all day, doing his work and meditating and cooking and then I realized all the things that brought joy I did all the boring stuff like paying the bills making sure that the toilets worked so I was like the man in the house and so I would go from working to being that at home making sure the kids did the homework so it always felt like okay this is not really balanced Mm -hmm. and you know you put a lot of pressure on yourself because as a woman you're really sensitive to everything and everybody and you want everybody to be happy, but then you end up making yourself unhappy. Yeah. yeah. And you're sort of stepping on eggshells all the time. Mm-hmm. And and you want you don't want your kids to hate you because you haven't seen them all day. But then again you have to get them to do their homework and so it's like a constant sort of juggling of where do I get to be me and now it's sort of sort of 60 and I'm on my own and I'm sort of get like my alone time and it's sort of finally accepting myself that okay I'm not the greatest cook in the world <laughs> I'm not the most interesting person in the world <laughs> but it's fine with me I'm enough for myself mm-hmm. and there's there's more self-love than there was when I was younger yeah. acceptance you know yeah so what do you think the biggest thing is that you've learned from your journey with cancer just thing is to be present to be you know like now I'm saying yes to things and 
making it a priority that I am present and whenever I can, you know, and be present, which I, I sort of knew anyway, but I sort of denied it because of having kids in the company and and just as a woman taking so many different roles and we sort of deny ourselves that and then you're sort of trying to do everything, but then you realize that you're not, nobody's happy because you're running around like a headless chicken mm-hmm. and stressing everybody out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's better to be in a good place and, you know, happier with yourself because then that energy also translates to your creativity or your children and mm-hmm. no and it's it's you know with me with my kids my husband was the one that pushed the creativity with them I they always say that I'm the one that made sure they knew how to make lists or be on mm-hmm. time and I just like thought oh my god I'm so boring <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like my, my my resolution is like now to say yes to things I'm not not um I'm still turning the homework in on time but I'm not as mad as I used to be about it I love that I love that saying yes to things that's been definitely a journey for me as well in the past few years and I'm definitely going to be doing that more and more I can't right now during my treatment but it's definitely high on my list but you know the other thing that I learned about this I never asked for help and that was one of my things. I I didn't know, you know, because my mom died when I was little. So I was always very independent. But then you sort of, now you go, I actually need help. Can you help me with this? Mm-hmm. It's like, even though my husband and I had split up, when I just had the surgery for the breast cancer, had the biopsies and stuff. And I said to him, can you please come and cook Thanksgiving dinner? And that was so lovely mm-hmm. to be able to ask and, and, you know, and for him to say yes. And, you know, we don't ask, we just keep doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and people want to help sometimes, they but do. we don't allow them to help. Yes. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm sort of learning to ask for help. That's been a big lesson. Mm-hmm. I love that. And accepting it. Yes. <laughs> Asking is one thing, accepting it and receiving it is another. They, yes. they have to go hand in hand. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a beautiful lesson to learn and it's one that also lets a lot of the emotions come through also you know these are ways when we say yes to ourselves when we put ourselves first when we ask for help and receive it we're also allowing ourselves to flow with life and to be present as you said to what's happening right now rather than denying ourselves of these things right yeah, or just, I mean, I just asking and it doesn't mean that you will receive or somebody's going to run to you, but at least you ask and you put it out there. And, you know, it's like, even with my daughter, I said, I'm going to come and see you. I said, I'll try to be as least annoying as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but it's just being honest and just having that honest conversation. And I think, you know, especially now that I have grown up kids, it's, it's so beautiful to actually get to know them as adults. Because when they were young, I was so busy working and so busy just making sure that their bills were paid and the school was dealt with and this mm-hmm. and that. And now to actually, you know, like last year, I got to spend five weeks with my daughter in Portugal and it was so beautiful to be able to just be there and just be around. You know, we were just together. And I hadn't been able to do that with her since she left home. So it was really like a magical time as well to be present. And I got the same with my son because he just moved to Paris now. But he was living with me. And I said to him, you know, it's so beautiful that we actually, I got to know you as an adult. 
I took him out for dinner. I said, you know, it's not often that as parents, you know, I left home at 18 and my dad didn't really see me after. So to have my son at 25 still with me part time was really special. And to actually get to know them as adults, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's a beautiful thing. It is. I'm experiencing the same with my kids. They're yeah. a little bit younger than yours, 21 and 25, but I'm really getting to enjoy them as adults. And, you know, these amazing human beings who have all these thoughts and opinions and ideas and aspirations, it's, it's really wonderful because just like you, I was the person who was making the list, making sure homework gets done, running them to this, that, and the other. It was always something else to do, right? Yeah. But, you know, the interesting thing is that there's so much math. <laughs> it's like, and now I just feel really stupid all the time, you know, they're so smart. <laughs> <laughs> they are they're way smarter but you know they've you know in a way i don't know if my i think my brain would explode if i had in, any more information in this <laughs> <laughs> what do you think the future of fashion looks like maria oh my god if i had a crystal ball i think you know people would be more conscientious you know especially at the younger generation uh, i think what's interesting with all this is that the new generation are much more aware they are going through like, you know, they're buying more upcycle things, sustainable collections. But the future of fashion is also hanging on the balance with all the science nerds, which I love. There's so much new development. I always say I love hanging out with the science nerds because they know what it's at. And, you know, all this new technology that's coming through and development. And, and, you know, I, I have great faith in science as well as the natural. And I think when there's a combination where you're, you know, I always want to hang out with the science people because when you work with people that have that side of the brain it's an interesting combination of how you come up with solutions and one does not exclude the other like you found that no Mm -hmm. yep yeah it's really fascinating but but there's so much new development happening and i just think the main thing that i would love people to be aware of is just the cause and effect you know and how much we, like I said, in what do we leave behind and what do we lead by example? You know, we just, that's why I always wanted to produce in New York and not wherever possible we produce 85% of the collection here. And I think it's just being aware of your footprint in the world. And I think the kids are doing that and that, you know, they're consuming mindfully. I'm not saying everybody, but there is more of a, educated consumer that is mindfully consuming and they uh, you know they're consuming less but they're buying the right things so that they're not going towards too much fast fashion they're sort of consuming in a way that is con- with a conscience you know mm-hmm. can we do a few speed round questions these are fun questions that are meant to let the listeners learn a little bit more about you are you up for that sure <laughs> okay <laughs> i promise they're not hard so complete this sentence fashion is Oh, beauty. Hmm. What is one myth about fashion that we need to change? That you need to be perfect. It's mm-hmm. not about perfection. Mm-hmm. I love that. What is something that most people don't know about you? That I have a sense of humor. <laughs> you do? <laughs> what is something that people often get wrong about you? I think some people think I'm boring, but I'm not, actually. I think I'm quite funny. I'm you funny are. peculiar. Not funny, haha. <laughs> a bit nerdy. I think you're fascinating. (laughs) 
What is one thing that you're excited about right now? Oh my God, you know what I'm really excited about? I'm going to England. I'm going to see my grandson turns one tomorrow. Oh. I'm so excited about seeing him. Amazing. And my daughter, who just turned 32 yesterday. Oh. On the, no, actually not yesterday. It's on the 26th. So um, On Friday, she turned 32. And, you know, just to see them and be with family, mm. that makes me happy. Yeah. What is one thing that you're deeply grateful about right now? Uh, being alive, uh, you know, that mm. my kids are happy. Mm. I think the number one thing is that my kids are happy. That is everything to me. Yeah. That makes me happy. Yeah, of course. Of course, we want our kids' happiness and our family's happiness. Mm, yeah. So this feels like a good place for us to sort of end our time together on this episode, on this interview. Maria, thank you so much for doing this with me. Thank you, Avanti. Miss you. <laughs> I miss you too. This has been beautiful. I, I so admire you and your work. And you have got me through so many things and I just... You know, I'm just very grateful. Thank you. you. Thank you. That means so much to me. Thank you for doing this with me. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, Find me on Instagram at Avanti Kumar Singh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.